Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. Right, we are back for another special issue of the Talking Comics podcast. We're here with the regular crew, but in addition, we have the writer of Rust, Royden Lepp. Thank you very much for joining us on the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, we're excited. I think it was, Steve, it was your book of the year last year? Indeed. Was Rust Volume 1. Yes. Um, thank you, Steve. <laughs> hey, man, thank you. No problem. <laughs> and uh, actually, um, Rust Volume 2 is on the shelves uh, right now. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, it should be. So you guys should pick, definitely pick that up. Um, so Roy and I, we like to ask everybody who comes on the show, you know, what what's your origin story of sorts? Uh, how did you start out in the comic book world? Sure. Um, well, it was. Uh, I know this is a common answer, but it is really true. It was kind of by accident. Um, I work full time in video games. I'm an animator. Uh, I went to the Vancouver Film School up in Vancouver, British Columbia. And um, uh, took the uh, classical animation program there, so a lot of hard drawing and page flipping and that sort of thing. And ended up in Seattle in the in the games industry. And video games is is really fun. It's a really good industry to be in, um, but it's very very collaborative. You have to work with you know teams and teams of people to make a product. Uh, and at the end of the day, you put years in of work and and your your work is, uh, you know, sometimes just little snippets here and there. Um, but that's part of, you know, working on a team, and so it's important. But that kind of uh, creative environment drove me to look for something that I could just do myself and just kind of own it. And I'd always been a fan of comics, but I'd kind of been away from comics for many years. And uh, one day I was finally just like, I got to do something else. I got to... You know, I went home and I just started drawing and, uh, you know, that was how I did my first book, which, you know, was pretty small uh, release. It was a book called David, uh, The Shepherd's Song, and it was just like a small 72-page graphic novel. But that was like my first foray into comics, and that was literally, I didn't know what I was doing. I sat down and drew the first panel and it just went from there, and and now I'm here. I don't know if that's uh, too... Uh, <laughs> too abbreviated uh, origin story or not? There's, there's a lot of details, but it was kind of by accident. I didn't, I didn't intend to end up where I am. Hmm, interesting. Um, so, uh, what, uh, what games did you, in fact, work on? If you can, if you can mention. Uh, not a lot that are really worth bragging about. You know, I didn't. I, <laughs> That's kind of my story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't. I can't be like, oh yeah, I worked on Bungie, you know, for Bungie, working on Halo or anything. Listen, like that. man, I I am responsible for Mary Kate and Ashley's Sweet Sixteen license to drive. I don't think you can top that. <laughs> you you know what we? I might have 
uh, recall a bid on that or something. Like, <laughs> I worked for, we did a lot of stuff that was, you know, it just paid the bills. I mean, we were looking at doing a Barbie property. We were looking at a Mary-Kate and Ashley property at one time, I remember. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so and at the end of the day, you know, one of the great things I learned was to get excited about what you're doing, no matter what it is, and do your best, you know, even if it's Mary-Kate <laughs> and Ashley. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I lost a piece of my soul making that game. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I I have worked on stuff similar to that, but uh, for the most part, um, you know, a lot of kids' games attached to uh, animated stuff like Shrek and other DreamWorks properties. The big the big one that I was really proud of was last year. Uh, I was the lead animator on um, a project called Superhero Squad Online, which was Marvel's technically Marvel's first MMO. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, but it was kind of loosely based on the Superhero Squad TV show, mm-hmm. uh, although with less fart jokes. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the same amount of uh, just, you know, fun characters. Kind of, It was kind of really cool because it was an opportunity to take, um, to kind of like, to not let, uh, or to, to point fun at kind of the Marvel Universe a little bit, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that was kind of fun. I got to dig really deep into some characters and things I didn't know about a lot of Marvel characters. And we got to read a lot of comics all day. And and then we would kind of go make fun of origin stories and stuff like that. And it was a blast to animate. And kids loved it. That was that was the funnest thing I worked on. That sounds like a pretty cool job. Yeah. <laughs> How can we all yeah. apply? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, you told us kind of your overall origin story. I know Steve had some questions about the origins of Rust and yes. where that came from. Well, I mean, you've you've had a lot go on in the last uh, year, especially since the first volume came out. I mean, you said you were making games, and then you like accidentally got into the industry, and now you have this property of yours that's going to be getting turned into a film uh, by some pretty amazing people. So, my question, my first question is, um, what was the inspiration for Rust? How did it how did it come about? Uh, well, uh, now that you know my whole story, I, it's no surprise that Rust originally was a video game pitch um, to Ooh. the studio that I worked for. Uh, they were looking for IP, original IP from within the company, and I was doing some sketches on my drawing table at work, and I, I drew Jet Jones for the first time, just you know, a few uh, poses on one page, and I had a lot of colleagues that walked by my desk and said, what is that? That looks cool. And... Uh, and I, that that's you know it sounds like uh, I want to say that I had this great master plan and I'd worked out the world and it was a story I was dying to tell. But really, it it took a lot of people that I respected to walk by my desk and say, "What's that? What's right. the story behind that?" You know. And I was like, "Well, if you want to know, I could come up with the story." You know. Um, but that you know kind of evolved into a pitch for a video game, and that didn't go anywhere for many years. Uh, and then when I had the opportunity when I had gotten, you know, kind of broke into publishing a little bit and got the David graphic novel published. And then I was working with another publisher at the time that wasn't Archaea. And they said, we'll just print anything that you draw. Like, what do you, what's the story you want to tell? And I pitched them uh, the idea of Rust and they loved it. And I just started working on it. So uh, it was, you know, pretty small, pretty small beginnings. Um, uh, so yeah, it's, it's crazy to think now that 
it it might come full circle. It might get turned into a film and then get turned into a video game based on the film, which I think would be awesome. Wow. <laughs> what um, if you had your choice? What kind of like what was your vision for the video game? Was it more of an action adventure RPG first person? Um, yeah, I guess it was kind of an action adventure. I wanted it to be. I wanted to make flying really, really fun and intuitive. Um, and Unlike so, any I, Superman game. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, we were looking at a lot of games that had flying. And there's a lot of restrictions when you have a flying character. Like, I wanted a big, vast city to be able to fly around in. And uh, we had a demo. Uh, I mean, this is years ago. I remember we were we had a demo working. We were flying Jet Jones around in the city. And, uh, yeah, it's it's sad that demo doesn't exist anymore. But it, it, was, kind of, it was starting to get a little bit fun. But uh, it had a long way to go before it was uh, shut down. That's interesting. You were going to have him inside of a city because the um, the setting for Rust is much more of like the rural farmlands and stuff like that. Yeah, the uh, to me it's it's really a lot about the vehicle of the experience. And for a video game, you know, you think about a character that can fly. Um, the prairies is not really interesting to fly mm-hmm. over because it's all flat. Um, so what what was you know what uh, a better vehicle for for fun in a video game was a lot of vertical stuff. So um, the design of the city was in there, and and that was a whole other setting in this in the in kind of the video game story. But when that was abandoned, and I went to the book, right. uh, what interested me most was this prairie setting, which is something that you know that I kind of grown up with, and it was a little bit more of uh, a little bit more taken from my childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, was there any was there any like aspect of either the game or the, your original idea for Rust that didn't make it past the the creative process for the first uh, I guess the first two volumes really um, like anything along the lines that you wanted to keep but felt that you had to get rid of to tell the story? Um, not not really. No, I, I mean I I got to put everything in there that I wanted to. Um, the the original publisher for Rust was very hands off, so um, I got a lot of creative freedom. Uh, even though I had an editor at the time, he was great, but he really let me do my own thing. And Arkea is very hands on, so uh, you know, book one and two were mostly done by the time I came to Arkea with it. Right. Um, so there wasn't a whole lot, you know. I, I there there wasn't anything I really cut. Um, or or added I I added um, I added a lot of content when when I ended up signing with Arkea, but not a lot of stuff that didn't make it in, I guess. It's pretty awesome though that you have all that that creative freedom when you're not bogged down by uh, I guess like a like higher ups telling you what you can and can't put in your own book. Yeah, I would have never been able to work like that. I mean that that's the whole reason I was getting into comics was to get away from anybody telling me what to do. So you know I needed to have that freedom, otherwise it was just another job and I didn't need another job. I needed, uh, so I needed something that was going to be fun. So are you planning on just, um, I mean, working in comics and staying in the independent field or would you consider working for someone like DC or Marvel? I, I don't know. I mean, um, you know, to, to be totally transparent, video games is a good place to work. Uh, it, pays well and comics don't (laughs) (laughs) um it's you know it would be a great honor to work for you know one of the big houses 
Um, but the question of being able to do my, like being able to write my own stories or whether I would draw somebody else's story, that would be, I don't know. I, I don't know if I'd be able to do that. It would, it'd feel really strange to me. Um, I, I'm, you know, I'm hesitant about it cause I would like to keep all my options open for the future. But mm-hmm. right now I think I would really, I, I really enjoy just r- drawing and writing my own stories. Okay. If, if Marvel wanted, you know, or DC wanted to publish them, sweet. <laughs> is, is there any character that if either of them offered you or, you know, any comic book character, is there one that you'd be like, yes, absolutely yes? Uh, um, yeah, I, I think everybody's got that, you know, that character. I, I, when I was a kid, my dad got me a subscription to The Amazing Spider-Man. Mm. And... And back in back in those days when I was a kid, <laughs> the, it would come rolled up. The issue would come rolled up yeah. in my mailbox, and I'd like <laughs> run down the la- the driveway and and pull out you know my monthly uh, issue of Amazing Spider-Man all rolled up. And sometimes you know it was hard to unroll it because it was rolled up so tight. <laughs> so it can fit in your back pocket better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so obviously you know. The chance to draw Spider-Man would just blow my mind, but I, but you know, I at the same time, I just I don't know if I'm, I think I'd be fooling myself a little bit. I, I don't know if my style, you know, fits in with any of the the big studios. I, I know that it's really different, and and um, I'm comfortable with the way that I draw. But um, th- if there's one thing about DC and Marvel, it's that they have incredible artists that would be hard for me to, you know to sit myself next to, um, you know, industry wise, but man, I, if I had the opportunity to draw any of, any of the big, you know, heroes that I grew up with, like Batman, Superman, or Spider-Man, that'd be pretty hard to turn down. Anybody else, I think I could, you know, even, even a lot of X-Men characters, I think I could move past and be like, wow, cool. Thanks. But no, thanks. Yeah. Um, But, but a lot of the major ones I'd have to, I'd, I'd have to at least try it out. But I think, I mean, there's a lot of um, variation in the art styles nowadays. I mean, Becky Cloonan and Stephanie Buscema, for instance, I mean, they or well, uh, Stephanie Buscema has an issue or a backup in, I think, Amazing Spider-Man coming up. So, I mean, there's some different styles kind of getting into the bigger comics nowadays. So, you know, you never know. Yeah, I, I like that. I, I like that perspective. <laughs> <laughs> I, I still don't know if, you know, just like skill wise even if if I can measure up but I I love I love drawing those characters like um it's one of my favorite things to do uh, especially at comic cons when people have got like a batman book or uh you know a particular character and I have to I love doing my take of you know really popular characters that's uh That's cool I'd like to see some of those. Very cool. Yeah, yeah you got to make them your own. Yeah, yeah, you do. And it's hard because there are so many great artists right now that are doing really fresh takes on characters that, you know, everything's kind of been done. But, you know, it's they're just, they're fun characters to draw. They always will be. Um, yeah, so. So your first inclination, if you were offered a book, would be to draw it as opposed to write it? Uh, yeah, that's funny. You, I, I don't know what you were asking, whether it was writing or drawing, but <laughs> I, I have for a really long time um, just considered myself to be an artist, you know, first and foremost. But um, it's in this whole experience with Rust. I've had some really uh, influential people, you know, really kind of take me by the shoulders and say, "You're an author. You need to realize that." And and 
um, and go forward with that in mind, not just, oh, I'm an artist that doesn't want to work with the writer, but I, I'm an artist that can write and I, and I, uh, I should consider myself that it's, it's still a hard transition to make, but, um, yeah, right. You know, writing and, and drawing something like, you know, a character like, oh, that would be a, that would, that would be mind blowing. I, I didn't even think of that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, well, you're speaking of, uh, art for a second there. I just have a listener question that I thought I'd drop in. Sure. Um, Matt Kelly, he wanted to know, how did you settle on uh, the color palette for Rust? Yeah, that's that's a question I get a lot. People have really responded to that sepia tone. I had no idea how much people would just be like, wow, sepia tone. It's just like, it really gets people's attention, which I've been really excited about. Um, the funny thing about uh, printing costs and that sort of thing, Rust was originally black and white. It was, well, not true black and white, it was grayscale. Um, because the original publisher wasn't going to spend the money to do full color. And sepia tone costs the same as full color costs. Mm-hmm. So in my mind, I knew no publisher would pay the cost of doing sepia tone without getting the, you know, the impact of full color. So I always, you know, I, I remember thinking, yeah, it'd be really cool to do this in like a, you know, like a dusty uh, old photograph kind of, uh, you know, coloration that was monochromatic and um, just something different that I hadn't seen. But I knew nobody would go for it. Um, but it was when I was first talking with Mark Smiley at Archaea, and he said, "What do you think about you know doing this in sepia tone?" And I was like, "Sold." <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was like, "Yes, that's yes, that's." I, I was thinking that too. I just um, would never thought that anyone would would want to do that. So. Um, I will give credit to Arkea. It was their idea, uh, but it was it was something I definitely had in the back of my head. Very cool. Yeah, uh, Bob, I, you got I've got I've got one, Royden. Um, Rust has a in imagery and story. It's a great amalgam of old World War One movies, all sorts of science fiction and animation things. You know, you're wearing your influences proudly out there. In the coming volumes, will we see other little bits and pieces of your childhood memories coming back for us? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, I, I hope so. Um, uh, you know, every volume. Uh, ho- I don't think this is a spoiler, but every volume is is kind of starting out with a glimpse into the past. Um, with, you know, pretty major flashback. So we're getting to look back at the war and uncovering some of the secrets and the history behind Jet and where he came from and where he's going. Um, so. You know, I hope that those things that drew readers in in that first volume, I hope they um, are glad to see them again in volume two. Uh, yeah, so not that, you know, I was in the war. That's not part of my childhood. Okay. But, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but they're they're fun to draw. I love drawing robots. I love drawing uh, the military uh, situations. They, it's been really fun. Right. You got another one? or? Well, uh, I was looking on your website. I love... Little Miss Muffet. Uh, is, <laughs> yeah, that, is that published that was, anywhere, or are you doing any other thing like that? It's just so funny and so sweet. Yeah, that was that was really fun to do. I did that for Image for their uh, fractured fairy tale fractured fairy tales uh, anthology, um, and they just they had a bunch of great artists that were um, participating in that. Actually, that came out of. I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but that came out of uh, Rust's submission when I sent Rust to Image and said, hey, you guys, what do you think about this? <laughs> and they said, uh, 
no thanks, but you want to participate in our anthology? And I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, that, you know, those good, good things can come, come out of that stuff. Cause I, I love Miss Muffet. I wish I could do, uh, more stuff like that, but, um, but yeah, so yeah, that's in fractured, fractured fairy tales. I think it was called. I will look for that. I really enjoyed that. Hmm. It was just it was just eight pages. I don't even I don't know if I posted all eight pages on my website. I don't think I did. But um, yeah, so if you're looking for a grand story, it's not in there. <laughs> okay. Ah, uh, yeah, I got more stuff. Yeah, bring it on. A whole list. <laughs> um, no, because I just I finally get to talk to you. It's awesome. So. <laughs> When you, I want to know I, personally. I want to know where were you, and like, how did it feel when you were first approached about turning Rust into a film? What was that like? Uh, that was, uh, yeah, that that was very transformational. That was a a uh, special time. Um, basically, our, you know, Arkea's, as you guys might know, Arkea's really plugged into Hollywood. Uh, they, you know, they they get they have a lot of access into getting a lot of their books uh, into in front of the right people. Um, so I'd gotten a call uh, a few weeks before Comic-Con last year from uh, Stephen Christie. And he said, Hey, we've got some studios interested. And, and he mentioned them and, and I, I hadn't heard of, of them to be honest. Um, and so it was, it started out with a lot of phone calls and, they're really uncomfortable phone calls because they're people that have like read the first volume or a piece of the first volume. And then you get on the phone with them and they're a director or a producer and they're like, Hey, so, uh, how does it end? And like, <laughs> you mean the first volume? And they're like, no, no, the whole thing. Like how, like tell me the whole series, all four books in, you know, a minute, just tell me right now. And it's like, Whoa, okay. Well, uh, there's this one part that's really cool. And then there's, uh, <laughs> And then there's more robots, and and then there's other part. Oh yeah, there's other part I forgot. Oh, it's really cool, and <laughs> so it was a lot of like uncomfortable conversations like that. But um, but it was exciting too. Um, and then uh, it it got complicated, and then it came down to uh, basically Fox and Warner Brothers uh, were both bidding on it on the same day, and uh, that was a that was a difficult day um, because. <laughs> I, I had a, a decision to make a little bit. I mean, since you're asking, uh, Steve, this is like kind of how it went down is that I was, uh, I was at my job and I knew that it was coming down to this day. I knew that I'd have to make a decision on this particular day. And I went into work and I couldn't talk to anybody about it at all. Mm-hmm. And my phone was ringing off the hook. You know, Stephen was calling me every couple of minutes saying, you know, okay, we're about to go into the Fox meeting or about to go into the Warner brothers meeting. And, and he was going to call me with like what the numbers were and everything, like like just keeping me up to date on everything. And I had a presentation I had to give that day at work. I was in a meeting. I was running the meeting. And that at that precise time is when everything was kind of closing up with Fox. And all of the agents were calling me. And Stephen was calling me. And the lawyers were calling me. And I was standing in front of my bosses and my coworkers. And my phone was buzzing in my pocket and I had a decision to make. I was like, what is my priority right now? Is it my job or is it this book? You know? And I have a bit of regret about this, but at that moment I chose my job. I was like, you know what? Uh, my job's always going to be here. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to be responsible and, and treat, you know, my, I cared about my employer. I have to treat this, 
uh, professionally and I just let my phone ring and um, and I you know after I got out of the meeting I had you know like you know eight missed calls and uh, I called Stephen Mack and it it wasn't terrible that I'd missed them but um, I had kind of let him know what my intentions were and we ended up closing on the Fox deal without you know without me being able to say yes but I had previously said yes so it was okay you know they were just calling to confirm but it was uh it was a really crazy moment that um uh that I'll never forget cuz it I you know I left work and I was on my way home and I thought I I should probably go get a bottle of champagne but I'm not sure and I went and got a bottle of champagne and I came into the house to my wife and I was she's like what happened and I said well I don't know. I got champagne. I, I think we got a movie deal. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, yeah, it was it was really really cool. But we're just, like sitting there sipping our champagne. Like, is it for real, or is it all just gonna go away tomorrow? We we had no idea what was gonna take place, and it was very very surreal. And we were very cautious about it all. So it was like um, hard to swallow, I guess. Hard to get excited about. I think you made the the right decision for you know for you and your family and whatnot, and it worked out anyway. Yeah, yeah, it did. Um, but it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was a, a really crazy day, and that was right before Comic Con. So well, I remember, I remember talking to you online a couple of days after that, and you were you were very mum about a lot of what was going on. You're like, I'll tell you later. I'll save it for the podcast. <laughs> so I have a question that I asked you all the way back then that I'm going to ask you tonight. Now that you've had some time to think about it, um, let's say everything goes through the movie, you know, makes to the screen and everything goes according to plan. If you could cast your, your own film, if they asked you for casting ideas, who would you <laughs> choose to play the characters? Oh, I, you know, Steve, I can't answer. I oh. don't think I can answer that. <laughs> no. I mean, because if I give you the actual answer, no, you uh, can, you know, <laughs> I, I mean, uh, I, ha I, I, Let's say I've already been asked that question, so I can't really, you know, uh, divulge. Oh, you, they asked you who are. would you who you would like, and then they're going to go ahead and try to get those people for you? I, no, I don't think that's going to happen, but, okay. you know, um, I I'm definitely have had the privilege of being like, hey, what do you guys think about this actor or that actor, you know, and I don't know whether, uh, you know, I don't know what comes of that, but I have to, I have to, you know, treat it as carefully as possible. Um, so I, it, I have a lot of ideas. Um, I'm more interested in hearing ideas from fans, uh, about like who would play ACOT or, mm. um, the kids are pretty hard to cast like Jet and Oz, but Roman and Jesse, you know, um, I would love to hear what people think. Do you have casting ideas? I might. <laughs> do you do you want to share them with me because you never know i do not i'm going to withhold them from you like you did to me <laughs> oh <laughs> oh I'll, I'll get I'll, I'll get back to you on it we'll talk don't worry okay um i i have to i have to share with you i think i told this i i think i told this to you um steve that our conversation that we had this last summer um around san diego was my biggest lesson in the internet. I mean, I know that the internet's forever. Yeah. But do you remember when we talked about this? Because you and I were chatting a little bit before, right before Comic Con, and um, and I had I already knew that um, Joe was Joe Cornish was going to be attached to direct. Yeah. And then you tweeted something to me that said like, "Oh, dude, you totally hold that held that from me. You didn't even tell me." And I said, "Uh." 
on my tweet, I think it said something like, yeah, sorry, I was sworn to Hollywood secrecy, but you know, I'm really excited about it, blah, blah, blah. I don't know what I said. Well, one of the one of the trades picked up that tweet. They went through, because that was a direct tweet, so they had to go <laughs> no. through my page. They grabbed that conversation and reposted it. Oh, no. And I was like, holy smokes, that was a really good lesson. You know, I could have been... Luckily, yeah. it wasn't like, yeah, I'm really bummed out. You know, I don't think because <laughs> that would have been the end of my career, like, or any hope of any you know, doing anything ever again in Hollywood. It was just like, okay, that's good to know. I mean, I know that direct tweets aren't private, but um, man, somebody was doing their homework to pull that, yeah, uh, and post it. Way to go, Steve. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Lesson learned. <laughs> no one was harmed. It's all right. I know. Everything's okay. We're all safe. Yeah, but along. that was a very good lesson for me. <laughs> Are you right. got another question, Steve? I don't know. Now I feel like an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. It was good. I'm I'm just saying that was like, you know, uh, no, it was a good thing. It could have gone really bad, but it was good. So don't feel bad. All right. <laughs> um, do you have any other projects planned beyond uh, the rest of Rust? Uh I have other stuff I want to do, but um, Rust is going to take me, you know, probably another couple of years. Um, I have, you know, Volume Three and Volume Four. Uh, yes, there's other stuff I want to do. I, I'm friends with uh, Doug Tenaple. I don't know if I don't know if you guys know Doug Tenaple, but um, he said something very uh, inspired to me once. He said, "If Rust, if the if the movie gets greenlit and." Um, or he said first, if the movie doesn't get greenlit, you need to go on to your next book right away. You know, like, what's your next idea? Because they're going to want to see it because um, your last one was optioned. He said, if the movie is greenlit, good luck, buddy. You're drawing Jet Jones for the rest of your life. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I was like, oh, okay. That's good to know. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's kind of true. If you want to, you know, if you want to ride that wave, I would, I would draw Rust for much much longer i don't know if i want to keep doing that you know four books is a lot so mm-hmm. um <clears throat> i might i don't know it's hard to say it's you know it's a long ways away i, I got a lot of work to do still so nice Very uh cool. bob you have any questions no i'm good to go i stole them all yes <laughs> well, i've been checking them all off as we go oh man well i want to ask when you're not you know creating what books are you reading what what creators artists writers you know series do, do you do you like to read yeah, I'm not. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm pretty, pretty, pretty unplugged from everything because it, it takes so much time to work on Rust mm-hmm. that I'm not uh, even watching very much TV. Um, so I miss a lot of really good stuff. Uh, the comics I do read is super geeky. I really like French comics, and I don't read. I can't read French. So you know, when I'm at uh, Comic Con, I go straight for. Um, for the French comics and all the foreign stuff, I just love the artwork and the size of the books and the layouts of the pages. Everything about it is really fresh and different. So that's um, stuff I always gravitate to. Obviously, I read a lot of Archaea books because I get them for free. <laughs> uh, so one of the books they published last year, which was awesome, was Billy Fogg, which is basically like uh, Calvin and Hobbes meets Edward Gorey. It was like not appropriate for kids, but it looks like it's for kids. And it was so smart and so well drawn. It was the funnest book. Um, so that was Billy Fogg. And um, 
I'm friends with Doug Knapel, so I read a lot of his books. I really, really liked Cardboard, uh, his last book that he actually just sold recently. That was actually, I think, one of his better books. Um, uh, other than that, not a whole lot. I'm not reading any Marvel or DC ever since um, I left the Marvel project. I don't. I, I haven't been digging into that very much, so I, I don't read as much as I probably should. But at the same time, it's kind of nice to be uh, uh, to not be too buried in the culture. So uh, I'm not trying. Uh, you know, I'm not. I'm not too influenced by everybody else. But at the same time, I like to pop my head up every now and then and see what you know what's going on. So yeah. So I mean, do you spend any time playing video games then, or is it just complete disconnect? Or not completely, but yeah, no, it's almost complete, Stephanie. It's um, I play almost no video games. Um, besides, like I'm starting to play some more mobile games now, and obviously, if we're you know particular style of game that we're creating, I'll do the research on that and play some games. And it's usually at work that I do that kind of stuff, and it is really purely research. Um, but uh, yeah, I had a I had a moment back. During the first volume of Rust, uh, was it Rust or it might have been before Rust when I was working on something and somebody bought me ha- the first Half-Life for Christmas and I was so excited to play that and I got an SR playing it and it was late and it wasn't that long, like three days went by of playing Half-Life and I hadn't picked up my pencil and I realized that I had a decision to make there. I was like, I either <laughs> am going to keep playing Half-Life where I'm not going to do this book that I want to do. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so I never got to finish Half-Life. And everyone's like, you know, it was one of the funnest games of that time when it came out. I know it's already quite old, but um, no, it was Half-Life 2. It wasn't the first one. But um, yeah, it was, it, it's, it's been hard to make that decision because I, I really do love getting sucked into a good game, but I can't afford it anymore. And I just lose too much time. So um, here's another question then. Uh, do you consider working on Rust to be more of like, I mean, it gets published, it's awesome, but do you consider it more of a hobby since uh, your work in video games is your primary source of income kind of thing? Yeah, I have to like I have to work hard to keep it a hobby, um, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Because if it, be- if it becomes too, you know, if it drags me down too much and it becomes another job, and I'm thinking about, all I'm thinking about is like, is this going to make any money? Is it going to be worth it? I can't think about that stuff at all. It doesn't matter. I have to have fun doing rest. And it's one of the only stories that I've been involved in telling for so many years that I haven't gotten tired of, which is a really big deal. So, um, so, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's something I definitely have to make sure I'm not treating it like a job, that it becomes a little bit more like play. But okay. with that said, I, you know, I'm still trying to, I've got a page quota every week and RK is like, did you get your pages done? And I got deadlines and that sort of stuff. I just have to try to not think about them. So you don't really read comics, but you do comics as a t- kind of way to decompress a bit as yeah. long as you can maintain the, you know, no work kind of aspect to it, the fun side of it. Yeah, yeah. I, I I still, you know, it doesn't take too much time for me to read some of the stuff that I'm interested in picking up, but I just don't do it enough and I don't like I don't go to my local shop enough and it, it's it, I know it's, it feels like blasphemy, uh but 
that's just how uh, that's how I have to stay focused right now. Just it works for me right now. I don't think it's blasphemy. I mean, whatever works for some people, right? I mean, yeah, everybody's not all of us have the time to different. devote to. Pardon, sorry. No, I was just saying everybody's you know creative process and, and priorities when they're creating stuff is different. So whatever works for you. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah, it, it works so far. We'll, we'll we'll see. I hope I hope people are enjoying Rust. I I hope that the second volume uh, is satisfying. So I'm looking forward to hearing what people think. Awesome. Very cool. Well, Royden, thank you so much uh, for joining us uh, on the show. Why don't you tell everybody home, you know, uh, where they can get in touch with you if they want to talk to you, and tell them about uh, and Rust Volume and- One and Two are on the shelves right now, right? Yeah, yeah. Rust Volume 1 and 2 are on the shelves, and uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm not really good on Twitter, but I'm I'm on there uh, every now and then, at uh, Royden Lepp. And I, we have a Rust Facebook page that you can find. I don't know off the top of my head, but you can find it on there and like it if you like. Other than that, I'm not really on Facebook too much. Um, and if you Google my name, thanks to my parents, you can find most of my artwork, like my other, you know, my portfolio, the Miss Muffet stuff online. So yeah, so that that's helpful. Thanks, Do you have, mom. Uh, any of the superhero doodles anywhere? Like the Supermans oh. and Batmans? I would love to see those. No, I I have never posted any of that stuff. Um, no, none of it. I haven't done any. I I did some drawings I really loved too this last year at some of the cons, like some Superman sketchbooks and stuff. They were such a blast. But I uh, I think I'm a little gun shy about that stuff because there's so much fear that circulates around the artist community. Like you know, Marvel's gonna come and slap you with a lawsuit. So the last <laughs> thing I'm gonna do is post it online. But I'll draw it in someone's sketchbook and right. Yeah. So all right. All right. Steve just keeps trying to get you in trouble. Uh, no, I know. <laughs> Steve, quit it. <laughs> I guess he figures if you're in prison, you can draw lots of extra volumes of rust. <laughs> I just want to share his work with everybody. I like what he does. I can't help it. <laughs> well, well, uh, uh, well, Royden, thank you so much for joining us. And um, uh, thank you guys for tuning in. And we'll see you next time on Talking Comics. Talking Comics.